I think it's like Pastor Sheridan opened the service with. I think it's um, awesome that we're having church tonight on the same day that there is a, a wound to your country. Because the faster we worship, the faster we heal. And we're just going to believe that our God's so awesome that he can work all things together for good, even horrible tragedies and, and horrible uh, murders. There's nothing God can't put his hand on and make extract good from it. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But it's an honor to be with you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you all the pastors for, for coming out tonight from wherever you come from. I'm honored that you would come. Thank you, congregation, for being here tonight. And I'm praying that God meets every person in this room, that God touches every person. We've had, I, I've had the joy of being your country at uh, Dunedin, started there in the weekend, and Monday, and then the Christ Church, then to Wellington, and, and uh, yesterday and this morning, and, and Napier, and Napier, uh, sorry, that city, and uh, here in Hamilton, the easiest to pronounce city I've been through all week. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, then tomorrow to Auckland. So it's been an exciting time. I've fallen in love with your beautiful country. It's not just the, um, the, every city is just gorgeous, including yours. It's the people. There's a great spirit and a great um, spirituality in this country. So God has some great plans for New Zealand. And uh, he's, he's incorporated you in his plans. And we're just going to believe for God to do some just wonderful things um, in, our, in our journey. Before I uh, open up the word, I just want to share for a little bit, then we're going to start praying for people. We've had uh, just some crazy miracles happen this week. And when we were in, uh, gosh, I think it was um, Wellington, uh, a lovely woman named Lily had had a severe leg injury. She was in the service on crutches, and we just started praying for anyone in pain. And so she, they helped her down front. and. And before I even finished praying with her, she threw her crutch down and started walking. And uh, she said, the pain's gone. She's dancing around. And so it just was, you know, their whole room kind of erupted. It was really fun. And I, I just pray that anyone tonight that, that needs a touch from God, God's going to meet you. Amen. Um, I've got some exciting news. Um, of course, you, you don't care about this, but it's really important to me. And uh, we added two, uh, to our family two beautiful new grandchildren to our little two little girls. I had the Fab Five for, um, I had five grandkids for eight years. That's, we had five, we were kind of stuck at five, and I called them the Fab Five, and, and uh, the three, so I took them on the last uh, poppy date. I take them all together, and, and so we went to the video arcade, and uh, so I had to, about two hours into it, I had to call my wife and, and uh, prepare her for what was happening, and I said, sweetheart, I've gone over budget. It's amazing how expensive these video machines are, and the kids just keep playing and playing and playing. And, and then we went out to dinner, and then we had coffee—not coffee—that we had hot cocoa at the coffee shop. And then we went to a movie. And eight and a half hours later, I collapsed into my bed after a fun date with my grandkids. But we had two two little girls added to the posse. So now it's a super seven, and uh, Dakota um, was born, and then a. A month before her rose was born. I want to tell you the rose story for, just for a moment. So my son, who is a musician in California, Southern California, this is his first uh, child, he and his uh, precious wife. So my wife and I are over there, and we're at the hospital. It's a Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach. It overlooks the Pacific Ocean. 
and in the afternoon, uh, the baby was born, and and uh, so we're all excited. And and my son's got his arm around my dad, uh, and I said, "What? Do you guys have a name?" Yeah, Dad, we're gonna call her Rose Moon Maiden. I said, "Can you say that again?" I I, I, I misheard something in the middle of that sentence. He said, uh, "Rose Moon Maiden," and so I I uh, I delicately tried to do some persuasion. I said, "You know." Someday, son, she'll be in school, and if the kids find out her middle name is Moon, she might get skidded about. No, Dad, I love her to the moon and back, and so he wouldn't be persuaded. And so, uh, so I said, I'll, I'll get used to it. So that night, uh, we're looking out the window, and it's a, it's a clear sky and a full moon, and we can see it glistening across the Pacific Ocean. And uh, the nurse comes in and says, "You know, it's a harvest moon. It was the July moon," and she said. Um, in America, we call it the harvest moon, but in Europe, they call it the rose moon. So then I got slain in the Holy Spirit there, and the Lord forgive me for almost ch- changing my granddaughter's uh, prophetic name. So we have a little rose moon, and uh, it's just uh, a wonderful joy. If I would have known how great grandkids were, I would have skipped the kids and got right for the grandkids. And just, man, uh, uh, what. I want to share just a couple thoughts, um, and then we're going to open God's Word. I want to talk about hope just for a second, and uh, the power of hope, and how hope heals. Hope can heal the heart, a life, a nation. In Romans 15, 13, there's a great summation of hope, telling us where hope comes from, and the benefit, and then the qualities that make up or construct the outcome of hope. And it says this, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. So we have hope when we're believing God's promises. Hope comes. It's a natural process. It's a natural ingredient reward for faith in our heart. His word produces hope. May he fill you with joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that last sentence is what I want to focus on. God wants us to abound in hope and so I see abounding in hope as something that affects our behavior, our attitude, our engagement with people, our worldview. When we have abundance of hope, when we have hope kind of spilling over the brim of our heart onto the people around us, that's what God's talking about. The God of hope causes us to have not just enough hope to survive, but an abounding hope. And so hope is always future looking. So faith is now, hope is looking into tomorrow. It's an expectation of good for the future. It's kind of a a good definition of the Greek word. To anticipate with pleasure, it means to have a, a joyous expectation that something good is going to happen. And so God says, I want you always to be ready every day, feeling like this is going to be your best day ever, that this is going to be your best year ever, that this is going to be your best season ever, that God's best is still coming into your life, that 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 the greatest hour for New Zealand, the greatest revival in New Zealand's history is coming. It's not past, it's future. The greatest move of God in Hamilton or in your city is coming, and that we are carriers of this kind of a glorious hope because hope is so attractive hope is inviting and hope when people have hope you're drawn toward them and so 
my friend Bill Johnson says that whoever has the hope in his culture has the most influence. I love that because that's what hope is. It's authority. It's influence. It's, 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 it's a heavenly way of looking at it. Anybody can see what's wrong, but hopeful people see how God wants to make it right. When we have hope, we're always engaged in this creative wisdom and acumen with God about how he can do something in our world. And so we were made to be carriers of hope. And the Bible says these, these things, these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. Love being superior. But God says, make sure that you're living in hope. Make sure that the hope is not just um, something that you cling to, but make sure it's overflowing, man, because it's going to cause you joy. It's going to cause you peace. It's going to cause you to enter into the faith and believing God's word as God gives you promises and as God's spirit invites you to the new season. So we're called to be carriers of hope. So it's an important thing. I, I think I said this last time, but I just want to remind you that your, your, your heart was made by God to be a hope factory. So you, God made you to be a dream machine. You know your heart is healthy when it starts to dream again. So for us as human beings, God, God gives us oxygen so that our physical bodies can live and survive and thrive. But God gives our souls hope. Hope is the oxygen of the human soul. And without it, people suffocate under negative, toxic emotions. You are made to be hopeful. I just want to encourage you, your best is yet to come. In your life, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. God's not done in your story. God's got surprises and victories and breakthroughs. And, and so God wants us in this, think about this day in the history of New Zealand. And think about people now will be thinking all kinds of thoughts and even fearfulness. And the kind of the innocence of your country has been disrupted by a violent action. And yet we are called to be so overwhelming so overflowing in the hope that we don't fall into the negativity or the fearfulness or or the anger that's going to all those things are going to happen in a culture that doesn't walk with God but us as people that walk with God the God of all hope will fill us with hope fill us with the expectation of good things coming in the story of our lives our churches our cities our nation our generation that God's ready to flood your heart with hope so how is your dream machine how is your hope factory doing how what kind of awesome thoughts are you thinking about the future the bible says in proverbs 13 12 the king james version says hope deferred makes the heart sick but when desire comes it's a tree of life and that's really you know that we we, we know that in psychology that when people lose hope they, their, their immune system breaks down. When people become negative, they become susceptible to diseases that they wouldn't. So, so we, we were made to be carriers of hope. And our hope's not based on everything working out good and everything in our circumstance lining us, lining up and looking. Our hope comes from God. He gives us hope when we can't find. The Bible says Abraham, who against hope, hoped in God possessed a divine hope by 
God's promise, birthed by the promise of God, not given to him by the he was 90, he was 100, his wife was 90, and so they didn't have natural hope, they had promise, a spiritual hope from God, and God didn't fail them. God's not going to fail you either, amen? God is ready to do something, and I, I, I pray for everyone here that no matter what you've been through, I just want to say a couple things about this, and I'm, I'm going to done, uh, start praying for people. I just want to encourage you, no matter what you've been through, God knows a, a glorious um, future that God has for them. Remember the story when uh, Joseph was in prison. He was in prison unjustly. And so he's there. He's a... One of the tactics of the enemy to really try to disrupt your destiny is false accusation. False accusation is the attempt of the devil to assassinate your destiny. It's one thing if people say things about you that are true. You're like, eh, it's kind of true. But when people say the opposite of the truth, it's meant to disrupt you, make you angry or pull you aside, discourage you or defeat you. And, and so he is a virgin. He's a pure, young Israel man. And he's accused of a sexual crime. He's put in prison. And in prison one day, he just, he's going about his duties. The Bible says he flourished there, by the way. Why? Because the vision you have for tomorrow determines the decisions you make today. When you have a vision for good for tomorrow, it causes you to be motivated today. Where there is no vision, people are destroyed. People are unrestrained. People are captured by the immediacy of their life. And they don't think in long terms. They don't have a hope that guides them through the harbor of difficulty in the hour of trial. But when we have hope, man, we make it. Because God never, the Bible says, hope maketh not ashamed. No, so, they, so Joseph's walking in prison and he came across two dudes, a butler and a baker. And they displeased Pharaoh and they were thrown in the prison. And, and, and Joseph discerned that they were unusually sad. The first, the first thing I noticed is everybody in prison is sad, you know. But Joseph dis- discerned it was a destiny sadness, a spiritual sadness. He says, why do you look so sad today? And they, here's what they said. We both have had a dream, but we don't know what it means. And, and, and so that's true for everybody in Hamilton, everyone in New Zealand, everyone alive. Without Jesus, you can't interpret the destiny dream you were made for. You were made for something on this planet. You have a purpose. You have a destiny. You have a calling. You have an assignment. You have a dream. And without Jesus, people, it doesn't matter how successful we think they are. You cannot fulfill your destiny without the God of destiny leading you into it. And they said, we, we, we have dreams. We don't know what it means. And so Joseph said, there is a God who can interpret your dream. And so he interpreted their dreams, and it led to eventually his freedom from that prison. It took a little while, but he, he used his gift to help someone else while he was waiting for his own destiny. Another important point, he helped someone else get into their destiny before he was in his destiny and so God looks how we behave can we help others while we're wishing someone would help us can we help others get get forward in life and excel in their their dream or their destiny while we're still 
lingering or waiting and believing for God to do something in ours. And, and so Joseph said, God will help you understand your dream. God will help you understand why you're, why you're here. God calls families. God calls cities. God calls God has purpose for cities, for families, for churches, for nations, for generations. All of those things have embedded inside of them a purpose from God, a calling from God. And a, a design from God. And when we discover those things, every, did, did you know that God, God created Hamilton, no matter who's your founding father or mother, no matter the story, it's God's idea. And so that means embedded into the very existence of this city is a divine purpose. And when we find that redemptive purpose, the, the, that's the reason why this church is flourishing. That's why, because there's a purpose, a fountain of meaning erupting in the, that people are finding out that they're here for a purpose. They're here, they have a purpose, and they're, they're fulfilling a God purpose. So Joseph interpreted their dreams that God helped him with his story. But his, the idea is this, that people are, there's an intrinsic, deep, abiding sadness that is not circumstantial, but is spiritual when, when we can't find out why we're here. And so the God of hope, there is nothing like God showing you your purpose to give you a lifetime of hope. Everything God reveals to us creates, you know, good outcomes. But man, when God shows you a destiny dream when God shows you a purpose for your life it creates hope it creates this joyous expectation of awesome things the Bible says I, I quoted to you uh, um, in Romans chapter 5 but it says and hope makes not a shame because the love of God shed abroad in their hearts by the Holy Spirit it talks about that we rejoice in tribulations knowing that tribulation produces patience patience produces experience and experience produces or character is a better definition and character produces hope so here's what you find out the longer you walk with God the more hopeful you become because you figure out how faithful and how good and how awesome and how loving God is and that 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 shortens the cycle and so you so you know that this thing I'm going through, when you know the storm you're going through is going to make you better, you're not afraid of going into it. When you know that God works all things for good, even bad things or hurtful things, that you have that trust factor. It causes you to have hope and even a, a joyous confidence going through difficult trials. My my story, just uh, real simple. I told it last year. I'll tell it to you just in uh, 90 seconds. My, my wife and I are about to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary in May. And uh, we're excited about, um, I'm actually excited about a little vacation. I have Ellen for a couple years and we've been working hard for the Lord. So she's sweeping me off my feet to Europe for a little while. So it's going to be fun. We, I've been in the ministry 41 years and, and uh, it's been an honor to serve God. You, you know, um, as ministers, we have to remind ourselves we have the best vocation in the whole world. That, that, that we're chosen by God to do this. What a honor, what a privilege. And uh, so God, um, I started off as a youth pastor and then a worship pastor and associate pastor. And when I was 27, began my first church and the Lord blessed that church. And I began it in 1985. And from 1985 to 1995, the church grew to about 4,000 people every Sunday. And we started building a big building. We, had, we were having a, a kind of revival, a move of God. Our worship leader was Israel Houghton. He was very written a lot of famous songs. Our youth pastor was Ricardo Sanchez, another pretty well-known American songwriter now. He just had a move of God. It was awesome stuff. And 
in, in August of 1995, when we were building a 4,800-seat auditorium that was about two-thirds up, um, our treasurer, a local businessman that owned a, a kind of a, a financial institution, embezzled all of our money. He took, he stole $20 million from us. So the church lost all its money. I lost some of my money. About 2,000 families lost their money. It was pretty, it was pretty bad, about as bad as it gets. And so it, uh, it kept kind of spiraling worse and worse. So we were um, uh, in the front page of the paper 10 times, headlines 10 times about our story, journey, and the and um, every article, I just want to encourage you, man, uh, always have a nuanced view of the, of the media. And if you're in the media, God bless you. And, uh, but just because they say it doesn't make it true, you know, um, no, matter, no matter what the, who says it. And, but anyways, uh, um, our, our church uh, grew from 4,000 to 140 people. That's the wrong way in the charts. And uh, I became clinically depressed I had 15 attorneys because we had lawsuits, a bunch of lawsuits. And so at the same time, I just uh, spent literally all day, 10, 12 hours with attorneys. And, and uh, so all those bad things happened. We, our church had to file bankruptcy. My family became homeless. And I became a, a severely depressed. I knew I was depressed because I was finishing my PhD in psychology. And I laid on my own couch and said, you're sick, sir. I said, no, I'm sick. Back off, Jack, uh, kind of stuff. That really happened. And I thought at 37, my life was over. Because the worst thing a church can have is a scandal. And we had a kind of a big one. Everybody talking about, ah, we think this and we think that. And it just was horrific. It took a couple years. Well, I eventually won all the lawsuits. But no one covered it. There wasn't any media about those things. It just took a while for everything to sort out. And just was a, a violent storm. My oldest son started doing drugs. He was a 13-year-old boy. He was a great athlete at 13. And, but his heart was broken. All his friends were all left him. People talking bad about his father in the church. And he just he started doing marijuana, graduated to cocaine, had a bunch of rich friends that supplied him with that expensive drug. And uh, so that, that, at 37, I thought, this is it, man. This is it. You know, I, I, had, I had a good run. My life's over. And I got depressed because hope left. When hope walks out, depression walks in. Anxiety walks in discouragement walks in negative things occupy that space and the lord said to me one day he said michael would you like to be healed of the pain you feel i said yes i would sir and lord i have a little suggestion i've made a list here if you would kill these people and lord your kingdom come your will be done however you choose and i know you've done hailstones before and opened the earth and Whatever you want. It's, but he said to Michael, would you like to be healed? And I said, yes, sir. And he says, well, Michael, if you will forgive the people that hurt you, I'll make you forget the pain they've caused you. And, of course, I, I knew what he was referring to. Um, Joseph's son, Manasseh, means to forget. And I said, oh, Lord, I'll do it, but I won't mean it. How can I mean it? My heart's broken. I'm a broken man. My dissertation was broken vessel that's the name of my doctorate dissertation and I yeah it was both pathetic and true it's uh but anyways and and the Lord gave me a vision and the vision was as soon as I breathed out that sentence I saw a train and the engine of the train had the word faith on it just blazed on it and a hundred cars down or more the very last car the caboose was called feelings and then I got it. When we set our faith in motion, eventually our feelings follow. 
that we are not, the Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. When we obey God, you can't wait till you feel like forgiving someone because that might be heaven, you know. We forgive. Jesus said, bless your enemies. Do good to those that are bad to you. Give to those that steal to you. Jesus said, do opposite behaviors. And by your faith, set in, mo- set in motion a series of events. That- and so I started praying four times a day for the people that had hurt me. And about six, because I, was, I, was, I took very serious what God told me. So I'm praying four times a day. About six weeks into it, I'm driving my kids to school, and, and the Lord visited me in the car after I dropped them off. I started crying. I couldn't stop crying. I don't know how I made it home. And uh, when I got home, I realized I didn't hurt anymore. In, in fact, I felt love for the people that had broken my heart. Only God can do that. See, see God can do that. And so God can help us. So the reason why I have so much hope is because I've seen what God can do with a broken man. And if God can give me, I just finished my book, uh, uh, came out a couple months ago called God of the Comeback. It's just my story. It's not a great book. It's an honest book, though. The publisher had to change names. We can't, you can't put that person's name. Yeah. So it was that kind of honesty, just real brutal. My own story, the whole thing. And, and, but I have hope because I've seen God resurrect my life. And, and, and so I started dreaming again. Before anything good had happened, my heart started contemplating a good future. I, and, and so after seven years, it took to walk to church through bankruptcy. Now, now it's almost 16 years ago, we, I started a new church right across town called Church for the Nations. In my first sermon, I read at a big auditorium. It, sit, it seated about 1,000 people, and I had 63 people show up. And I preached 10 10. And I preached our church will be 10,000 members and start 10,000 churches. And, and, and if you were there that day, um, the people were really kind to me. But I, I know that they must have been thinking, this poor guy's lost his mind. He's been, he's been through a lot. And, you know, he just pushed over the edge. But, but now, 16 years later, nobody laughing. Those are just numbers that have happened. Though, you know, God, I, I lead a movement that has that many churches in the second part, but our church has grown to those. We have 18 campuses. We have a, a, a miracle. Everything's a miracle. My son was delivered from drugs. He's a pastor, a businessman, just had his fourth child. We have miracle after miracle. And I, everything got better when my heart got better. When I started dreaming again, my life started getting better again. And I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are in life, man, you're a dream machine. You're a dream factory. You're a hope carrier. You're an ambassador of heaven. When you walk into an environment, everybody's freaking out. Be the one with a hopeful, positive, kingdom-oriented wisdom that says, you know what? God's got a plan. It's going to be okay. When people are panicking and, and don't know what to do, just tell them it's going to be okay. God works all things together for good. I used to preach about that and know it theoretically and know it theologically, but now I know it experientially. All things work together for the good of them that love God called by His purpose. There's, there's nothing so evil God can't make it become good. God can take the worst thing that happened to you and make it become the best thing He does through you. So now I have a ministry to hurting people. Why? Because I was hurting. You with me? 100 nationalities in our church. 100 people a week get saved. Goofy, crazy stuff happens. Why? Why? because I let God do something in me. 
And I, and I give God all the credit, all the glory for, for sure, sure. My wife calls me Lazarus, the man brought back from death. No one in my city gave me a chance but Mary and Jesus, you know. Not the Bible Mary, the one I'm married to. And God, God did it. And I just want, the, I, I want to spend the rest of my life talking about the goodness of God and helping people find hope again. And people live in hope. And no matter, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, your story's not over. Give God the chance to write a good ending to your story. Don't give up. Come on, turn to someone and say, don't give up.